Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's making sense of the post-COVID property world before it even happens. And today we're looking at how investors and occupiers are coming out to play in what, before the pandemic, was one of the most consistently shining stars of the real estate world, the central London commercial market. We now have, across London, the lowest prime yields that we have witnessed, certainly in my career, we are likely to see those yields compress further. The pandemic has been a global issue and as a result centres around the world are all suffering in the same way but London has come out, I feel, in a very strong position. There's a level of inquiries for serviced office space and co-working spaces more than 70% up on pre-Covid levels in the second quarter this year. I'm Guy Ruddle and in the studio with me, yes, In the studio with me, I have four people who, between them, know all there is to know about the central London office market and a little more besides. Stephen Down is head of central London investments at Savills. He's no stranger to to real estate insights. Stephen, hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Guy. Very well. Emma Steele is a director of cross-border investment, helping international investors with their global, but particularly London, investment requirements. Emma, welcome to Real Estate Insights. How are you? Thanks, Guy. Yeah, good. Well, thank you very much. Great stuff. Andrew Barnes is a director of central London tenant representation. So for the purpose of this podcast, he's the occupier's representative on earth. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Guy. Great to be here. And Matt Oakley needs no introduction, so I'll give him one. He's head of UK and European commercial research and a friend of the show, I would say, pretty much. Matt, how have you been? Uh, good. I'm amazed you keep asking me back. Well, so am I. Uh, let's let's crack on with this. Stephen, let me talk to you first of all. Um, in your market, in the, in, in the investment market, what's it been like recently i mean we could talk for ages about what it was like last year which is not great but more recently what's it been like more recently i mean it's been pick it's been good it's been picking up we've seen uh, the amount of inquiries coming in from investors uh, on, on the rise and we've seen more stock coming to the market so generally i'm in a very positive frame of mind for the next six months i think there's enough for everyone to be getting on with and um, i'm keeping my fingers crossed that uh, there'll be more 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 business to be done too so yeah i'm I'm feeling good about life at the moment. Uh, well, it's lovely to hear. Uh, is that across the board, across all types of property, all types of investment? That's a good question. I think that uh, there's been a lot of focus on on core, core income. So we've seen a lot of uh, transaction activity around good quality buildings let on long leases. Um, and on those, we've seen some very strong pricing and very, very low yields being paid. And then at the other end of the spectrum, interestingly, we've seen uh, very, very aggressive bidding on sites, land. Not that there are many at any one year anyway, but we've seen some very, very punchy prices, a lot of comp- competition around uh, the bidding for sites in central London. And from an investment point of view, who's in the market? You've got a lot of UK-based investors. You've got the REITs who are looking to try and get into the market, competing with European funds for the uh, for the income on the sites. You've got North American uh, developers. Um, I suppose, um, unlike other years that uh, we've had, conspicuous by not their absence, by but, but by their sort of smaller involvement of the Asian uh, Asian investors, just simply because it's impossible to. To, to come over and, and look at look at assets and, and transact, but Emma will have more on that. Yeah, Emma, you're you're, you're nodding there because this is this is absolutely your mm. area. I mean that 
we've talked about it before on on real estate insights, but th- that lack of th- those travel restrictions, how big an impact do they have? Well, I think it's quite interesting. I think people are like like to say that there is a huge impact that's been had, but actually, if you look at the statistics, certainly from last year and actually year to date this year, in twenty twenty transaction volumes, seventy six percent was by overseas investors, and this year, year to date, it's already seventy four percent. So, despite the restrictions that are in place, people are actually still finding ways to do deals. So, are they the the the, the same people? Actually, the makeup is quite different today. In the last few years, Asia had been a big player in central London and and that void for the last 18 months has been replaced by a lot of European capital. So I guess the sort of next question is, uh, are those Asian investors coming back anytime soon? I'd say they're poised to be back, absolutely. And I'd say that if the travel restrictions weren't in place, they would absolutely be part of the makeup of of, of the London market today. You know, I always imagined from from when we started doing real estate insights a few years ago that, you know, London is the sort of centre of the world, you know, the capital of the world. Does it still feel like that when you're talking to your your clients? I think absolutely. I think the pandemic has been a global issue. And as a result, centres around the world are all suffering in the same way. But London has come out, I feel, in, in a very strong position. People continue to see the benefits of investing here. And what are they after at the moment? You know, what sort of property... I think Stephen's touched on it already, but core income is the easiest piece. But that we have we have constant requirements for across the spectrum. Matt, in terms of your research, when you're talking to people around, the, you, you, I mean, you talk to both investors and occupiers. So let's deal with investors first of all. What sort of sent? Does the sentiment that you're hearing reflect what Emma and, and Stephen are saying? Um. Not entirely. Sort of. of. I always find when I'm in a room with two investment agents, maybe I need to slightly water down the optimism. Um, There is no doubt, I think, you know, globally that London is still perceived as, you know, one of the top tier investment destinations on the planet. And I think, you know, going in medium term, you know, London will continue to attract, um, you know, more cross-border investment into offices than probably any other city, as it always has done. At the moment, though, I think, you know, different things are playing out. And, you know, there are there are concerns amongst investors about the really big cities around the world. Generally, the big cities are proving to be the slowest to recover. And I don't just mean about property. I mean about, you know, the day-to-day metrics about how many people are on the streets, how many people are on the mass transit systems. Um, and this is, this is the same in the US and in most of Europe. So I think you know, there is a degree of caution about big cities. How will they come back? And there's a lot of wait and see there in some investors' minds. I think, you know, I'm still getting, you know, a steady stream of questions around Brexit. You know, it's not done. And I think, you know, some of our clients um, stayed away because of Brexit and are still slightly staying away. And then we have the added thing, which really plays into sort of Andrew's point of area. But, you know, this question about work and offices, which is a global question. It's not unique to London. So I would say there's more caution in the investment markets than I've ever seen coming out of a recession normally london would be booming by now yeah so andrew from your perspective because that's the investor side of things obviously investors are interested in what occupiers are doing otherwise they wouldn't be investing so from the from the occupier side uh, what are you seeing you know there is all this talk about you know we're never going to come back to you know full cities if you like 
I think nine months ago, there was a lot of talk about the office is dead and the whole role of the office is going to change. And, you know, the whole, as an asset class, the whole the whole area is going to have some real trouble. However, I think things have changed dramatically in the last six months with a lot of uh, businesses saying to their staff, you will be coming back to the office. And a lot of staff saying, we really want to come back. Uh, now, there's a few generations, perhaps some of the older generations who have quite enjoyed not commuting. But I think the vast majority of the, certainly from the surveys that we're seeing, uh, people want to come back in, not necessarily five days a week, but they certainly want to come back into the office. And so the role of the office is evolving, but it's certainly not dead. It really is. There's a lot of positivity amongst the occupier uh, sector at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to come back to that in a little bit, actually, and talk more about that, because, you know, it's definitely not black and white, right? And, and you know, there are lots of conversations to be had for, which affect everybody about how the office will evolve in the future. For now, though, um, Andrew, on the on the activity front... You know, who's who's around, who's doing what, which sectors are, are, are active? It depends which geography. Uh, the city in particular is very active with professional services, particularly lawyers, both US uh, and UK firms looking to upgrade their accommodation. Um, so they, are, they have been more active than we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, tech and media is also active across central London. Uh, those tenants are far more footloose than they ever have been. So they're impacting both the West End and the city. One interesting figure in the West End, uh, we're actually seeing financial services about 40% of activity. We haven't seen that since uh, pre-referendum. So there's a lot of investment management and private equity businesses who have been benefiting from uh, turbulent times and turbulent markets who are now looking to improve their space and grow. Yeah. I think there's a bit, just coming in on that, there's a bit of a different story in terms of size of companies as well. I think the big companies are taking longer to make decisions. You know, they're much more in wait-and-see mode. Um, you know, there seems to be more activity in the smaller sector. And when you look at the, the sort of serviced office sector, you know, our business that, that looks at that, actually the sort of level of inquiries for serviced office space and co-working space is more than 70% up on pre-COVID levels in the second quarter of this year. So I think small companies can make decisions faster and are doing so. The big corporates, are, you know, they're, they're stuck in a morass of HR and board level decisions um so i think that they're going to take a little bit longer to come back to the market do you uh, uh, uh Stephen uh, and emma on, on your investment side is the service office market something that your clients are interested in in terms of investing in, in london um yes they are i think that investors are still a little bit nervous a bit wary post um the 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 we work um restructuring so to speak and i think that uh, there is a discount. There is a discount on 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 assets if they are leased to serviced office operators. So look, we've been talking for oh, just plus of ten minutes, I'd guess. Now, it's all been very positive in a world where the traffic out of Oxford Circus Tube Station is thirty five percent of what it was before the pandemic, and out of Bank Tube Station in the city is like single figures. I mean, it's like nine ten percent something like that I, I'm, I'm there's a disconnect here emma between you know what you're all saying and what's actually happening what seems to be happening in the 
in the real world. This is something we've been speaking about for a while. That definitely does feel like there's a disconnect between the occupational piece and the investment piece because the investment piece seems to be going exceptionally strong and uh, set against you know a slightly more challenging occupational side of things. We are feeling positive about the world, but I think there has to be a temper to that. And you know, you're speaking about travel within London, but of course we can't forget the wider global travel as well and how that is impacting the market. And it certainly is having an effect. And I think from from a wider Asia perspective in particular, it's causing an impact on the investment market in London because without that transience around the world, fewer deals are happening. We are a forward look. I mean, a developer buying a site is going to be putting a, a building on that site in three, four, five years' time. You know, we're looking at the future story of London and, and increasingly people are buying back into that. Tentative steps, and that's why the core income has been predominantly the sort of the, the asset of, of choice for investors at the moment. Um, if, you, if you were to ask me that w- where the secondary market is, you know, where there are sort of older buildings in poorer locations off pitch, then it's a different story. And there is definitely, you know, a, 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 a different story and, and prices are, are softer. Yeah. And I think, Stephen, on that, from the occupier's point of view, there is a real flight to quality at the moment. And I think some of these older buildings, we're actually seeing some tenants who are in them without lease events or expiries are actually upgrading anyway to try and get people back to the office. So there is going to be this real desire to have high quality offices. And we're starting to get asked a lot of questions uh, from HR teams about quality of air conditioning, mechanical, electrical services, how safe the environments are. So much as the investors are are ahead of the game, I think, driving the... uh, the whole sustainability and ESG agenda, I think occupiers are, are, are really starting to uh, to put their voice behind this. Well, I'm glad you mentioned ESG because I, I was I was about to do the same because we haven't talked about it yet and I barely have a conversation about anything, let alone property, uh, without talking about ESG. Matt, from your, from your point of view when you talked about is it, is it really a topic all the time, ESG? I think it is with some people, yes. Um, I think, you know, The investment market is leading on this uh, and is increasingly worried, I think, about essentially having stranded assets. So they're they're thinking five or 10 years ahead now and just saying that we can't have a portfolio that is made up of of stuff that isn't going to be ESG compliant by today's measures and 10 years out. Um, And I think there probably is a pricing differential there already. I don't think the occupational market is quite there yet. It's a topic... But nobody really is demonstrating they're prepared to pay a lot more for it. And I think actually probably the S bit, you know, leading to Andrew's point about the HR team being most actively involved in property decisions, the S bit is the bit that's really grown in importance. And and this whole thing about seducing staff back into the corporate workplace is, is all about the S bit. Um, so it, it's coming up there, but we're still pretty basic in our sector. I think we're asking the wrong questions. We're looking at old buildings and saying, well, they haven't got an ESG compliant badge, therefore they're bad. We're not talking about whole life carbon. The story needs to move on. And the lending market also, I think, is also somewhat behind in this debate. It's just sort of, is it green or isn't it green? So lots of work to be done here. Could I ask a question, actually, yeah. uh, on this sustainability point and actually linking it back to the service office points? Because in many cases, some of these service office providers are essentially acting as landlords. Uh, are they ahead of the curve in terms of a traditional occupier, in terms of how they look um, at ESG? 
I think one of the biggest um, pushbacks from the occupier against the service or the flex office business as a whole is going to be the levels of occupation and density. Mm. I think as a whole, put those guys to one side briefly, but I think you'll see that for 10 years we've had office occupancy um, increasing and desk sizes getting smaller. I think we're now about to push back and I think you're about to see space per employee get bigger. And a lot of these serviced office business, particularly the traditional ones, have very high dense occupations and staff are not going to be happy working in those environments. People are asking about fresh air rates, about the changes of air, about is that air circulated around the building or just on their floor or in their suite. So I think this is a big issue for the sector. So is that going to translate back to actually how much the serviced offices are going to be able to pay if, for occupation themselves if they can't if the densities are, lo- are, are ultimately yes are as you know they, these guys operate on an eighty five ninety percent occupancy model if they can't drive their desk rate per month then yes they're going to be able to pay less money there's probably therefore going to be some consolidation in the sector or they're going to charge more per desk right. All the, All in principle, that. however, what a lot of landlords are now doing is offer what, what's called Cat A Plus to compensate for this. So as a result, there's a sort of a hybrid model somewhere between a conventional and a fully flexible lease that landlords are offering. And maybe that will grow in their popularity even more so. So I'd like, if I can, just to talk for a minute about the wider role of the office. I think that's really fascinating about, you know, shared office space or, or serviced offices and the like. But the bigger, wider role of the office... it's sort of a stupid question, Andrew, to say, is the future of the office settled? Because obviously it isn't. But is there any clarity coming at the moment, do you think? Um, We're in a state of flux and occupiers are really waiting to see how their staff react. There's been a lot of noise about some of the big tech companies and the big banks all getting their staff back more forcefully, perhaps, than they thought they would have done. But uh, occupiers don't want to suddenly go and spend £100 a foot refitting their offices to get it wrong. So I think we're in for a period, perhaps for the next nine months, 12 months, where people see how it goes, get people back in, what do they want, and then how do they then change their office? Because Stephen, you know, as an investor, looking at, say, the city of London, you could could say, well, you could either look at Jamie Diamond uh, of JP Morgan saying, everyone's coming back to the office, or you could look at HSBC saying something like, we're going to reduce our office space by 50% or something, didn't they say something something like that? You know... which view, which one of those holds sway in your mind? Well, remember, you know, in the UK, we have the benefits still of long leases. And so being candid with you right now, you know, a, a relatively short period out of the crisis, we're not quite out of there yet. But, you know, there are some easy decisions to make around the way in which leases are, are offered. And, 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 and so the, the focus for our clients has been buying good quality income um, for, let to good quality tenants. If those dis- tenants then decide that they're going to have half their workforce working from home and half of them working in the office, well, that'll evolve. I think that you know, I think it's going to be uh, a longer period than just a year to two years. I think this is a, a, this may be one cycle, maybe even two cycles before we've really worked out the future of the office and, and, and how it's occupied. And for investors, you know, they'll just want to concentrate on the very best, buying the very best in the best locations where the workforce is likely to come to. Um, and uh, and certainly, certainly that pattern of activity seems to, to, to reflect that. Well, look, I think it's time we did the Savile standout statistic. 
uh, which we always do. A little nugget of information uh, from each of you uh, about the market, which sort of shines a bit of a light. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, we'll do the newbies first. Andrew, why don't you go first? What's your Savile standout stat? 37% of active tenants in central London are expanding their footprint requirements and only 40% are reducing them. Really? It's very positive. Yeah. Emma, what's yours? Okay, mine's a bit broader, but I've gone for the UK has the world, the fifth largest uh, GDP in the world after the US, Japan and Germany and China, of course. But it is 80th in the list of the largest land area. And then you convert that to thinking about um, investment and um, cross-border investment specifically. And what's very interesting is that in 2020, cross-border investment into the US and the UK was actually very similar. And in 2021 thus far, the UK is ahead in terms of cross-border investment than the US. See, that's a proper standout stat. I mean, that's about that's four standout one, yeah. stats. Yeah, uh, We'll save the, the, the researcher for last because it's his sort of area. So, Stephen, your stat? Well, I mean, we've been through a very tough 12 months and you'd expect that perhaps pricing has come off in, in, in London on the investment side, but quite the reverse. We now have uh, across London the lowest prime yields that we have witnessed, certainly in my career, in the West End at 3.5%, in the city at 4 we are likely to see those yields compress further. We are going to uh, see deals happening in the next six months. We'll push those yields further down. So that is ex extraordinary and shows the resilience of London and its attraction for investment. Yeah. Matt, finally to you. Well, I'm astonishing myself. Second standout stat I've used that's about ESG. But um, if you look at the the deals in the City of London, leasing deals over the last two years that have achieved the highest rents, 80% of those have been on buildings with a BRIAM rating of very good or above. So clearly, there is a green premium emerging. Yeah. Uh, all of you, thank you so much for being here in the studio. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to be all together again. Uh, and I hope it's a sign of the times, a sign of the future, for ha perhaps. Thank you all for your time and your wisdom. Uh, it, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want to delve deeper into this or any other property subject, you'll find a wealth of wisdom on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk forward slash research in the meantime thank you very much for listening and as ever see you next time this podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast this podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills prior written consent